Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Salt Lake 2002 Retrospective Podcast, a back-of-house look at the planning and delivery of the Salt Lake 2002 Olympic Winter and Paralympic Winter Games, as told by the very people who organized them. I'm Christian Napier, your host, and our next guest, Bev Carey, is a veteran of the Olympic movement and major events. I've had the pleasure of working with Bev on projects after Salt Lake, and Bev, you are joining from your car, and I think you're the first person that we've had on this podcast that's actually joined from their car. Yes. Hello, Christian. It's good to hear your voice. Thanks for having me. I am in my car at the moment. Um, there's just a little bit of chaoticness in my house today, so I just felt like this is the easiest place to escape to at the moment. <laughs> you're escaping to your car. May I ask what car it is that you're in? Uh, sure, actually. Uh, I am in a little Volvo smallish size SUV. Don't ask me for technicalities about automobiles, but it's nice. All right. I won't ask for technicalities. I will say that my daughter has a Volvo sedan and absolutely loves it. You know, it's yeah. a great car. It's safe. It she gets good mileage and that's very, very dependable. I think out of all the children, uh, her car, the car that she has is the most reliable and nicest car. Don't tell my, my other children that I just, uh, confess that their cars weren't as nice as my daughter's, but that's what happens when you have a daughter, you spoil your daughters at the expense of your as son. As you should do, as you should. All right, so you're in your car, but where is your car and where is home? Excellent question. I am in my car, in my driveway in Atlanta, Georgia. So another Olympic city. Yes, another Olympic city that predates Salt Lake 2002. Correct. We'll get to all that in a moment, but uh, mm -hmm. um, Atlanta is your place of residence. And what are you doing in Atlanta? What are you working on these days? Excellent. So yes, Atlanta is my place of residence and also my home. So I was born here and raised here. And um, other than a few jaunts around the, the globe for Olympic work, this is where I call home. So uh, what I'm doing now, well, we're obviously in the middle of a global pandemic. So um, as you can imagine, on the event side, things are a little bit quiet. Um, so it's a little bit of engaging with clients about um, preparedness and resilience, um, planning for when we do reconvene um, and deliver events again. So a lot of just chit-chatting right now. Um, but which has also left some time to work on my sort of side passion project, which is a project called Live Alive. Um, and that's essentially a platform, an online platform, which is a network of peer-based accountability groups. Um, so it is a, a curriculum, a series, and it's shaped mostly like a book club, except that we do away with the book and we focus on the individuals in the group and achieving sort of long-range goals in a step-by-step, bite-sized um, kind of action plan that uh, takes us from what we call, you know, sort of someday I will to this year I did. So it's been um, super fun to, to start, and uh, we've been able to offer a virtual version of that during this time, um, which just we meet on Mondays and Fridays in groups of about four, and we kind of use a a uh, formula and a framework to set intentions and kind of gain support and resources about navigating our weeks during the pandemic. Well, we'll get into Salt Lake in a moment, but I want to come back to this Live Alive idea. How did you come yeah. up with this idea? What was the impetus behind it? Well, you know, it actually really for me kind of started uh, when I was working on the London Games in 2012 and, um, you know, loving organizing committee work, but also understanding that at some point you're probably 
you know, at least for me, I really wanted to learn how to just keep a plant alive. That was, you know, something that I hadn't been able to achieve moving city to city to city. And so it was kind of like, well, what's next? And and also, you know, there's this laundry list of things I'd like to do that I just simply don't make time for. So um, a sort of small group uh, and I got together and we sort of piloted the idea, you know, just sort of putting the oxygen mask on ourselves first and learning to do the things we wanted to do and realizing that sometimes our peer groups can see a path to what we want to do with far more clarity than we can ourselves. And so having our peers kind of come up with step-by-step action plans for us just felt really um, workable and valuable. And so that's really where the idea began. And then it sort of stuck with me and stuck with me. And um, in the last year or so, I, you know, really took it up a notch and took it seriously and started to live alive. I love how I digress here a little bit, but I love how you say, put the oxygen masks on yourselves first. Yeah. Someone who travels extensively is in a position to quote the safety right. procedures That's right. uh, when boarding aircraft and incorporate those into their daily lives. So kudos yep. to you for yep. incorporating and proving to everyone out there in the universe that you actually listen to the safety demonstrations. Thank you. Thank you. I can quote it by heart by now. So you got to take something away from it as that's what I've taken away. Now we now we return back to the Salt Lake 2002 games. Now you live in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you work on the games in Atlanta before you started working on the games in Salt Lake, or were the Salt Lake games your first foray into the Olympic space? You know, ironically, I did not work on the games in '96 in Atlanta. I was here. I was a spectator. I loved absolutely every minute of it. I would have had no idea in 1996 that I would make a four-way into working the games in Salt Lake or anywhere else. So um, that did not happen until a little bit later down the road. Um, I had gone to school in Boston. Um, I graduated Boston University and was working in advertising um, with Hill Holiday. So shout out to anyone in the 90s at Hill Holiday. And uh I was working on uh, print advertising at the time for John Hancock, which was a top sponsor during the Sydney Games. So I created a lot of print advertising around Sydney. Um, and knowingly, you know, the games were in Salt Lake. I had obviously been in Atlanta and seen the big show there. And um, I had grown up in a sport and uh, competing in very recreationally, but in figure skating. Uh, which if you have even a toe into figure skating, you know all things Olympic and Olympic Games. Um, and so there had always been a curiosity about sort of how the logistics work and what all the back of house ins and outs are. And when I was competing, you know, how they got us from one place to the next so seamlessly and smoothly. And it really always appealed to me. So when those two worlds sort of collided um, and I was kind of seeing what was happening in Sydney, I just thought, hmm, hmm, Salt Lake, that's an interesting idea. But that was sort of it. Um, but it was enough to lead me to just sort of check out, you know, what the possibilities might be. And I happened upon, um, I don't, I wouldn't say Googling in those days. I don't think we were quite Googling yet, but I was doing something on the internet anyway and found um, a listing for an internship in figure skating. And, you know, I just thought literally in my brain in that exact moment was like, why not? Why not? Let's just click on it. So I did put in my information, closed it down, 
didn't think about it again, you know, happily living my life in Boston. And I remember I was walking through the Boston Garden. It was a beautiful day and my phone rang. And on the other side of that line was uh, a now amazing, amazing friend and someone who shaped a huge part of my career from this moment um, was Carrie Holt Larson, which I'm sure many of you know um, now of Utah jazz fame. But um, Carrie was calling me about this internship, which was totally out of the blue and completely crazy. And I literally sat down in the park that day and was just like, why not? Let's keep talking about this. And so we had a great conversation and (laughs) Carrie was very transparent and very honest and was basically like, listen, we're never going to be able to pay you. This is an internship. You know, um, you're maybe somewhat overqualified. Um, but I think she asked me maybe a couple of technical questions about figure skating that I could answer. And there it was. And so she offered me the, the internship and without hesitation, I just thought, why not? Let's do it. You know, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. I'm sure I can find something to, you know, make my, my living, whether that's working in a restaurant or teaching skating, whatever it may be, I'm going to make it happen. And so I quit my job. I got in my car and I drove from Boston to Salt Lake. Um, my lovely mother, I'm sure she thought I was absolutely losing my brain, um, flew out, met me. And, um, you know, I found an apartment. I got myself somewhat established. And I just said, I am going to throw myself into this. Whatever they need, I'm going to do. I will pick up trash. I will run circles. I'm just going to make it so that they absolutely cannot get rid of me. <laughs> and that was the mission that I set out to do. And um, luckily, you know, went in that, that first day and it sort of all just fast forwarded from there. And I very luckily um, got hired a few months in um, into an actual role. So it was, it was kismet. Wow. That's an amazing story. Number one, your willingness to sacrifice a full-time well-paying job uh, there in Boston to take a chance on Salt Lake. I mean, that's a brave thing to do, man. I, I, I would have, uh, I would have struggled with that decision, but you said you made it right away. How did you know that it right that was the right thing to do? Uh, naivety to some degree. Um, I was, you know, much younger then and sort of invincible and had nothing to lose, you know, nothing really tying me to one place or another. And it just was like, one of those moments where everything in your brain and in your gut and in your heart is like, go do it, you know, just go do it. So there, there was nothing to, to question. Okay. Another question I have following all of that is you drove from Boston to Salt Lake. That's a haul <laughs> driving from Boston <laughs> to haul. Salt Lake City. Yeah. You know, it's funny when we are working over in Europe, the people there don't really understand the distances, you know, in the United States and how far things are. Right. And they, they can't imagine it when I tell them if I drive from Salt Lake to Los Angeles, which is about 11 hours. Oh, yeah. But Boston to Salt Lake, yeah. that's a long ways. A long how long way. did it take you? How long did it take you to get from Boston to Salt Lake? You know, it's such a hazy time, that memory. I just sort of remember being there. Uh, but it was definitely a couple of good, solid couple of days of driving and, um, you know, just seeing what there is to see between Boston and Salt Lake, which is quite a bit. Uh, but I was pretty, you know, just focused on getting there. I didn't spend a lot of time touring or any of that. I just, you know, beelined it 
to Salt Lake and this amazing world that was awaiting. And my next question for you is, what was the timing? When was it that you actually arrived in Salt Lake City and started working for the organizing committee? So I started in the fall of 2000. So just before, uh, well, not really just before, but several months before the Four Continents um, figure skating event, which was the test event um, at the Delta Center. So it was about October, I think. Okay. So you ended up working for the organizing committee for about a year and a half then. Correct. And you mentioned that you stayed or you started as an intern, but then you were able to move into a permanent role after a few months. What was that role that you moved into eventually? So I bounced around a little bit. I did um, a series of the test events. So I did the Four Continents event. I did the short track test event, which is a a pretty funny story and how I got there, which I can share with you in a minute. Um, And then um, I did the curling test event as well. And then... Shortly after that, um, the sort of great powers that be in the figure skating um, and short track venue team, so Cecilia Paglia, who's a massive hero for me, um, decided that they really needed some support at the training venue. Um, and so since there would be you know, two sports hosted in that venue, figure skating and short track speed skating, that they would benefit from having someone manage that venue. So I became the training venue manager for figure skating and short track speed skating. What was your role during the the actual games? Were you managing the training venue during games time or were you uh, in a different venue? I was. I was managing the training venue during games time. So I worked kind of in a dual role as part of the sport team and the venue management team. Uh, So a little bit of time at the Delta Center, but primarily I was at the training venue um, and running that venue for both of those sports. Give us a perspective of a person who manages a training venue. You're not at the competition and some yep. might think, oh, well, you know, I'd rather be the manager at the competition venue than at the training venue. What was the psychology like of working and managing the training venue as opposed to the actual competition venue? Sure, sure. Um, it was the best training I could have gotten. I will tell you that as somebody coming in at sort of the junior level uh, for major events like that, there's no better way to understand how a venue works. Um, you know, that venue had a lot of attention on it because, you know, there were two sort of, um, for lack of a better word, popular sports um, within that venue in high demand. Um, it also so happened to be that we were in the, just at the beginning or not knowing that we were walking into a major judging scandal um, in the sport of figure skating. And so a lot of attention was focused on the training venue because there was a little bit more access um, to some of the athletes. I mean, we really, work to make the training venue a home away from home for those athletes, a safe haven. Um, And, you know, we started out with really focusing on the sport part of all the operations, but we ended up by the end of that event, by the end of those games, we had TV in there. We had, you know, a full mix zone, press media. So, you know, it really was like a mini competition venue in many ways. Um, and it gave me such an amazing opportunity to learn all those components um, in almost a safe way. Earlier in our interview, you mentioned uh, a couple of names of people that you considered heroes or mentors. Just last week, we we interviewed Katie Clifford, and she <laughs> she uh, had a nice uh, couple of words there to say about you and that the team, the sport team, had become extremely close and there were friendships that were built then that last until this day. Tell us about some of the people 
that uh, you worked with that you found particularly interesting or inspiring or hilarious or super helpful throughout your journey there in Salt Lake City? Absolutely. No question. I mean, we are, we became a family and we remain a family. So for sure, Katie Clifford, I mean, I don't think I could survive a day uh, without knowing she was, you know, in my court and on my side. Um, Lori Morency Kuhn, um, our fearless leader, Heather Linhart Zhang, um, like I mentioned, Cecilia Paglia, Leanne Bingham, Trina Martinez. I mean, all of these people, Scott Marshall that we worked with, you know, so closely um, on a daily basis. And we were really just in the trenches together. And, you know, we've stayed that way. And those are the people that I reach back to sideways, you know, in front of whatever it is, um, many, many times over. Uh, you know, there are memories that we have, there are sounds we can make probably and just, you know, delve into uh, hours of laughter. And, and um, we've sort of seen each other through a lot of things. So um, that was sort of the beginning of, of, of many years of, of amazing friendship. Wow. I think that's uh, true for most of the people that worked in the Salt Lake Organizing Committee. And it uh, is true for, for a lot of events. You know, you, you work with these people for a limited amount of time, but you, you forge these bonds in very stressful environments that I think are quite strong and they can mm-hmm. last a lifetime. So I'm glad that you're mm-hmm. able to maintain that family over all those years. Now, ahead of time, I, I asked you to come up with a few stories, you know, dig into those memory banks and pull some things out. What were some of the stories that you found that were, you know, as you look back on those games, you think, oh, man, that was amazing. Or no, man, that was so funny that this happened. Uh, it was just totally hilarious. Give us a few of the stories that are memorable to you, Bev. Sure. So I have a couple. Um, I'll sort of do them in, in, in a series, I guess. But the first one was literally on my first day. Uh, I walked into the Sloth building there on Main Street. I was over the moon excited about being there in whatever capacity I could be. And I sort of just bypassed the check-in desk or security desk there and ended up in the elevator. And I got in the elevator and I was like, okay, I'm supposed to go. I'm going to meet this woman, Lori. And I'm in the elevator and I can't move the elevator. I don't have a pass, right? And there was only one other person in the elevator. and just she turned around and looked at me and she was like are you Bev and I was like are you Lori and there it was right so the person I was supposed to meet happened to be in the elevator um she swiped me and we we got up um to the 18th floor which is where we lived and um immediately she was like okay here's the thing here are the keys to my car you're going to get in my car and you're going to drive to Provo where you're going to find Katie Clifford and um, you are going to work the uh, test event for short track speed skating and go to it, right? So it was literally just this moment of meeting in the elevator. And the next thing I know, I'm in her own personal car driving to Provo uh, while she and Heather, our sport manager, were uh, traveling to Colorado for, I think, Skate America or a figure skating event out there. So it was just one of those like, here you are, let's go. And it was a great moment. Um, and it's something we still laugh about. So, Oh, wait, I got to stop you there. Yeah. So she says, here are my car keys, drive to Provo. Are you thinking, uh, where's Provo? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you know, this is before MapQuest or anything like that, right? Or before uh, Waze, we did use MapQuest. That's exactly what I did was print out the directions and, 
you know, literally try to navigate myself to this place I'd never really heard of, to be honest. Um, and was like, right, so this is what we're doing. Let's let's go for it. And um, you know, I just why not? So it was it was a pretty funny moment. That is so crazy. Now I have to do I do have to ask you because you came from out of state, you came to Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City is a very different place from Atlanta, which is very different yeah. from Boston. Yeah. So what were your initial thoughts when you arrived in uh, Salt Lake City? A bit of culture shock, or you're like, well, hey, this is a great place. Yeah, I mean, I, certainly culture shock. I mean, Boston is a you know is a jam packed city. People are around you all the time. It's cold. You know, Salt Lake is a different kind of cold. It's a dry cold. I just remember thinking this place is stunning. You know, this place is beautiful. The air is clean. The people are amazing. Um, you know, that drive from Salt Lake to um, Park City is just it's breathtaking. And I just thought like, you better suck up every you know moment of this because this place is amazing. So I, I, I immediately loved it. All right. Well, I apologize. I interrupted your storytelling, but I just had to ask this question about going to Provo with <laughs> that, that is just so surreal. <laughs> But yeah. you can imagine it happening in an event space like uh, like here in Salt Lake. Yeah, absolutely. There were a number of surreal moments. I mean, I would probably say one of the crazier things that happened, at least during the games, was at at the training venue. So it was the Salt Lake Ice Center. Uh, no, Salt Lake Ice Center was the Delta Center. Salt Lake Ice Sports Complex. There we go. I, I have to juggle my memory a little bit that far back. But um, so I think we were literally on day one. I mean, maybe even hour one. And um, my venue commander, um, I will leave his name out to protect the innocent, but he uh, just sort of said to me, you know, hey, like we've got volunteers in the venue. We've got both the U.S. team for figure skating and short track on the ice. We're rolling. You know, this is my first kind of at bat. And he says, can you just follow me, sort of stay behind my right shoulder and just follow me? And I want to show you something. I'm like, okay. So we're walking out, we're walking, um, if you've been to Steiner Ice Arena, the whole front of it is glass, basically. And so we're now looking out into the media parking lot that's just on the other side of the mag and bag, that's just sort of, you know, maybe 20 feet from the glass. And uh, he says, what do you see there? And I look out and I see what looks a little bit like a PCP pipe, probably capped on both ends. It's suspicious enough. And, um, you know, he says, I don't really like the look of that. It was pointed out by a media representative from Korea. So that's also happening. Um, we have probably at that time, I think I'm looking at four or five sports agents leaning up against this window on the phone, talking, people are mulling everywhere. And, um, and I said, yeah, I think you're right. And let's figure out what it is. So, he goes one way, I go the other. My job is to divert people from what's happening and make sure that we're kind of maintaining everything inside. And his job is to take care of everything outside. So he sort of says to me, listen, it's suspicious enough. We're going to bring in, you know, the sort of the, the bomb squad, if you will. We're bringing in the van. We're bringing in the robot. Like, we're going to see what this is. Maybe a few minutes later, you know, I'm thinking in my head, okay, all right, let's see all these volunteers have just been saying over and over, we want to watch, we want to see it, you know, and we've been telling them, no, 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 you used to do your job, stay in your position. And so suddenly I was like, okay, so everyone, we're going to give you a gift day one, you're going to watch for a certain amount of time. So we moved everybody inward as much as we could. Um, he says to me, we're going to, we're going to just detonate this thing to get rid of it. It's going to make some noise. 
Um, and so you kind of need to be prepared for that. So I'm telling everybody, listen, yep, opening ceremonies are like literally, I think it was the next day. Um, we're testing some pyro. You're going to hear some stuff. It's going to be fine. No, no worries. Don't pay attention. And I mean, literally, if you had turned around, it was mass chaos outside. And inside, we were just moving and diverting people as best we could. So it was just one of those like, you can't, you can plan for everything and nothing, right? So we would have never guessed that. I would have never guessed it as sort of the first thing I needed to manage and the first venue I'd ever managed. Um, and very fortunately, it, it ended up to be nothing. Um, but we still had to go through all the motions. And it really just set the tone for me um, for what I had done for future games, which is just preparedness planning and scenarios and, and making sure that, you know, you're as, as rehearsed and as practiced and as ready as you can be. Because in those moments, you just have to go on instincts. And it was just a surreal way to start. <laughs> Wow, that is a crazy story. So did you ever think to yourself, uh, I don't remember this being in the job description when I was hired into this position. Nobody said anything about having to diffuse uh, a difficult crisis situation with a potential explosive device outside. That is crazy. Yeah, it was definitely not what I had expected. And it was also something that I sort of didn't realize was happening or that I was dealing with until it was completely done. You know, so it was just one of those like action, action, action. And we'll think about this later. And um, so it proved to be totally fine, but it, it made a really great story. And everyone was fooled. They all thought it was part everyone of the ceremonies. Was everyone was fooled. Yep. Nobody knew. I mean, a very few number of our security team and our operations manager that was there and that's about it so yeah they everybody did a great job <laughs> wow a crazy story thank you so much for sharing that story uh what other stories do you have um well you know i'd say probably more of a on the feel-good side of things um was at the same venue so um same venue commander i we were walking around doing a walkthrough one day and this is like you know maybe a couple of days before the opening ceremony and we were meant to be an evacuation point for the opening ceremonies, which meant we needed to be staffed up on the venue that night. And so as we're walking around, I noticed the stairwell that goes up the side of the building and what seemingly ends on the roof. And so I just mentioned to him, I'm like, where, where does that go? And he looks at me and kind of gives me a smirk. And he's like, nowhere you need to know. And I was like, well, where does that go? And um, he's like, yeah, it goes to the roof. And I said, uh-huh. And so what if, you know, we needed a couple of people to be up on that roof, you know, maybe during the hours of the opening ceremony? I mean, we're right there at Rice Eccles, you know, we're in prime view of, of fireworks. And, uh, and he looked at me and he said, do you have any idea the number of, you know, secret service that will be looking for people making any sort of moves on top of roofs? Like you've lost your mind. Um, obviously, we were operating in a very, very, po you know, post 9-11 world, but but just after. And so everyone's heightened awareness. And, and I said, yeah, but sure, you have ties in. You can just maybe give a message that there might be somebody there. And so I just kept at him and kept at him. And finally, he made it happen. Um, and I recruited um, Lori and Katie. And I, I have no idea. They probably had a thousand plans that they were going to do that night. But I was like, this is what's happening. You're coming. We, we got a pizza. We're going to the roof. Um, and we are going to, you know, see as much of this sort of action as we can see. 
And it's just one of those moments I will never forget, you know, the, the pyro going and the fireworks going and us standing on that roof and just sort of in that moment realizing this thunderous amount of momentum that was created by opening this event and just having no idea what we were about to get ourselves into and what we were going to experience but knowing we just had this really kind of life affirming and life altering moment together. And it's just, it's one of my most clear memories and it's just something that um, puts a huge smile on my face every time I think about it. Um, and, and it's pretty funny that we pulled it off. Well, kudos to you for pulling it off and creating that memory. <laughs> Sometimes that's what you got to do. You've got to, you got to make the effort to create those memories for yourself and your, for your friends. Totally. I've super enjoyed this uh, conversation. It's been a lot of fun catching up with you. Before I get into my to, to my questions to end this uh, interview, mm-hmm. the Salt Lake 2002 games were the beginning of a journey in this space. Why don't you tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about that journey and what the experience of Salt Lake gave to you in terms of the skills and experience that you've needed to continue your journey on in the event space? Um, how did they set the foundation for you and for you, what's the legacy of these games, both personally and professionally? That's a wonderful question. Um, you know, the foundation was really set in all honesty by the people that I worked with, you know, um, Heather Linhart Zang is our, our fearless leader and figure skating manager. I mean, I learned so many things from her and, you know, the idea that she in so many ways trusted us, even as young um, you know, event managers coming in. And I remember her always saying, just use your instincts, use your instincts. And I've taken that into absolutely every game that, you know, I, I've been in since then. I think, you know, just just laying the, the groundwork for being confident in what you're doing and um, events happen the way they happen, but you can solve any problem. And that's just something I learned in Salt Lake. And, you know, it really set the tone for all the other games that I participated in. Um, and I'm, I'm just really grateful to that team, that opportunity, um, you know, having, having the chance to do a games, not only in your home country, but in your a sport that you grew up in, you know, that is, that's a kismet moment. And that's, um, you know, I haven't had that moment since then, to be honest, but um, that experience in Salt Lake, um, the legacy that still stands in Salt Lake City. I mean, if you go, to Salt Lake at any point, I still feel so much of the Olympic movement there. I still feel so much of the tenets of Olympism there. Um, and I think that that has really, um, you know, driven my motivation and, um, and desire to stay in the games and to, you know, try and provide that legacy for other cities um, and, and, you know, be a part of that um, in other places around the globe. So um, it really set the foundation for what I do, not only in the Olympic world, but in any you know, undertaking and any project um, that I work on. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Before we let you go, we'll get to our assignments. Okay. The first assignment yeah. is all about music. So I'd like you to just uh, think about a time. Maybe it was while you were driving in your car, or maybe it was during a competition that you attended or whatever it was, was there a particular song or songs that if you hear them today, they immediately recall Salt Lake 2002 in your memory banks? Oh yeah, hundred percent. So the first one I would say um, is Babylon by David Gray. 
So that song, uh, every time I hear it, it is just me driving from, um, you know, Salt Lake up to Park City, that sort of wood burning smell that you get when you're in Park City. Um, the beauty of that drive, being surrounded by, you know, friends, um, really all the time. There's always something amazing going on. And that song just embodies all of that. So every time I hear it, I'm driving up to Park City and something great's about to happen. So it's a big one. That's a that's a great song. And I love the title yeah. because when people think of the word Babylon and they think <laughs> of Salt Lake City, it's like those two places are diametrically opposed, right? <laughs> yeah, completely. Yes, absolutely. But it's not. It's perfect. It's, um, you know, it's kind of a chill song, sort of. Uh, but it's enough. It's got enough power behind it. So yeah, that's a great one. I think it is a great one. We're going to add it to our Spotify playlist. So anybody Excellent. who has Spotify can go on there, just search for a playlist, Salt Lake 2002 retrospective. And all of the songs okay. that everyone has nominated are on that playlist. So check that out. Question number two for you is about the yep. food. So it's a restaurant question. Is yep. there a particular place that you and your colleagues like to go during the preparations of or during the games themselves? Sure, absolutely. So I think a lot of people will probably answer this this way, but there were two in particular for lunch was the Globe. I think it had a little bit of, for those uh, you know kids of the 90s who watched 90210, it had a little bit of a like um, Peach Pit After Dark vibe because I think it was like a cafe during the day and then became sort of a bar at night, at least closer to the games, you know, kind of trying to get in on that, that like everyone's coming here, let's make this cool. Um, so that's for sure one. Um, the second one is Lazy Moon. I mean, you had to be at the Lazy Moon on a Friday. Um, I think we ate and drank that place out quite a few times. Um, but really, my favorite is actually a place that is not a professional establishment, but it was at the Palladio, which was a condo or apartment complex right in the middle of Salt Lake. And there was a around the world um, kind of progressive eating party. There is no better restaurant than that. Um, all of <laughs> primarily the Australians, the sort of Jackie Edmondson's, that, that crew hosted us in and around the rings, um, dining experience like none other. So in reality, there can be the greatest establishments in the world. But when you're working at games, what you learn is that the locals and the people who are there um, working together create the best restaurants you could ever have. So that <laughs> that is the top of the list for me. Um, but if I have to go professional establishment, I would say the Lazy Moon and the Globe. All right. Thank you. The Globe and the Lazy Moon, I don't think are around anymore, but uh, probably not. Well, but many yeah. people have mentioned those those spots. And it's fun that you mentioned Jackie. I'm actually talking with Jackie tomorrow for this podcast. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Well, that'll be a good one, too. So Jackie will be Champion joining us right there, there from, yeah. from Switzerland. So super yeah. excited to have her on because she'll be the first Australian that we interview for this oh, podcast. Well, so that's going to be a lot of fun. Be okay. Yeah. To wrap it up, what's your goosebump yep. moment? Oh, goosebump moment. Oh, God. I think I would have to say that we, um, at the end of the figure skating event, there was always an exhibition that's held. Um, it was in the Delta Center. And uh, Heather um, basically said, I'm going to sit with my family. There you go. So it was sort of up to the rest of us, um, and in particular, Lori and Katie and I, amongst many others, to run this exhibition event. And um, so there we were 
end of the games, live to TV, you know, this crazy judging scandal had happened. There was all this focus. Um, and we were like sort of three, I don't even know, little birds maybe running this thing. And just um, that moment, the, the, the faces on those athletes, on each of us, just trying to get it done and acting like we knew exactly what we were doing, even if we didn't. Um, and it was just, it was a very Olympic moment and it was a great way to, to end, you know, the games. And it's, um, it's a very cherished memory. That's wonderful. Bev, thank you again for, again, taking time out of your car to join us. Um, this has <laughs> been a lot of fun walking down the cliched memory lane. Now, yes, if people want to learn more about what you're doing, about Live Alive or the other interesting projects that you're working on, how best might they find out that information and connect with you? Sure, absolutely. Um, you can always find me at LiveAliveSeries.com. So um, that is our Live Alive website. Um, as well, you can email me at bcarry at carrycommunications.net. I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, all of those pretty much at BevCarry. Um, so happy for anyone to find me in any of those places and always looking for um, conversation and connection. So look forward to talking to people for sure. All right, Bev, I'm sure they'll be looking forward to speaking with you as well. Thank you again so much for joining and listeners, please like and subscribe to our podcast. Thanks, Christian, so much. 